When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, we look ahead to one of the most major milestones of our lives when we graduate into retirement. Now, here's our valedictorian and certified financial planner practitioner, Eric Brotman, your host of Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. Get ready for inspiration and actionable advice to guide you towards a seamless transition into a dignified retirement where you get to make your dreams a reality. Welcome to Don't Retire Graduate. This is Eric Brotman, your host, and I'm excited that today we get to spend some time thinking about not just doing well, but doing good. And that is talking with a real expert in philanthropy, which is is something near and dear to many of our listeners' hearts. Our guest today is Henry Berman. Henry has been the CEO of Exponent Philanthropy since 2010 and a member of the group since 2003. It's a unique program, and I'm going to let Henry tell us all about it. But Henry, first, thanks for joining us and being on the show this morning. My pleasure to be here. Thanks, Eric, for having me. So I had a chance to look over your, your website, and I, I was sort of blown away by this concept that there's a, a membership uh, philanthropy uh, component here, and I'd never heard of that before. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, your organization and specifically how you got involved and, and why that's something you're so passionate about? Sure. Um, let, let me just start, though, and maybe help your listeners understand that I think most people or many people hear the word philanthropy and they think of Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or the Ford Foundation. And the reality is every single one of us is a philanthropist. Um, Gates and Buffett might have more zeros to the left of the decimal point, but all of us have opportunities to give, to support people. Oftentimes it's money. That's the default when people think about philanthropy, but volunteering, helping people connect with one another, those are all forms of philanthropy. So I want people to think very broadly. As for our organization, Exponent Philanthropy, we're about 23 years old, and we were formed at the time by a number of foundation executives, if I can use that word, and that may make sense in a minute, um, foundation executives who ran foundations with minimal infrastructure, minimal overhead. So this could very well have been mom and dad sitting at the kitchen table who had a family foundation. Or it could have been a foundation which hired, say, one person to act as an executive director. So not a lot of money going into infrastructure, a lot of money going into philanthropy. And this group formed, as I said, 23 years ago. And since then, we've grown to, I guess, about 1,900 members now across the country. Uh, We call them members. I really like to think of ourselves as a community, but they are all these small staffed or leanly staffed funders who really support one another and help each other. 
when you think about it, mom and dad at the kitchen table or that executive director working in an office by themselves or perhaps with one other person, they're sole practitioners. You don't have the opportunity that you would in any large business, philanthropic or otherwise, to walk down the hall and sit down in the cafeteria and chat through ideas. Um, and so we've become that community for those people. And we, we help guide them. Uh, and I use the term guide. I could use educate, but I like the term guide because I want you to imagine for a moment, Eric, that you're out in the woods with a guide taking a hike. Well, sometimes that guide is at the front of the pack leading the way, showing you where to go. Sometimes that guide is at the back of the pack, either encouraging you to move a little faster or saying, you know what, it's fine that you're walking here at your own pace and taking it all in. And sometimes that guide is right in the middle of the pack, learning and exploring with you. So that's really our approach to education. We guide people. The second big thing we do is we connect them. We connect them to each other. As I just talked about, they work by themselves. Um, they don't necessarily have a local community to bounce ideas around. Um, and so we put people together and they may fund in totally different areas. One may be an arts funder and one may be an environmental funder, but both of them or one of them is dealing with a problem that the other one already has. So they, they, they share that connection and learn. And then the third big role of our organization is to be a champion for this kind of giving. Uh, I can share off the top of my head last year, I believe it was our members combined gave out over $4 billion with a B dollars. That's a lot of money. And, wow, that uh, is a lot of most money. Of them, yeah, most of them do it under the radar. They do it quietly, but we help them tell their stories. So that's who we are in a nutshell. Well, that's fantastic, and I, and I absolutely love the stories. I love the why behind charitable intent. You know, I, I think there's a, a a tendency to think of charitable giving number one as a a tool for very very wealthy people, which I guess it can be, but that's that's not really the, to me. Philanthropy and charity it starts with heart. You have to care about something, whether it's the environment or the arts or education or or a religious organization or whatever it is. Um, now, I, I'm familiar with. Community foundations, this is different. This is not the same as a community foundation. Can you, can you help, uh, help me and help our listeners understand the difference and, and maybe describe what, uh, what a community foundation is um, in, in your world and, and how they differ? Sure. A community foundation is, um, you know, <laughs> I'll be a little bit of the wise guy, exactly what it sounds like. A foundation set up to benefit the community generally a geographic area. So you might have the Boston Foundation, for instance, or you might have the you know, small town Kansas Foundation or wherever, but it's generally focused on a, on a geographic area. And what it does is act as an aggregator where people can put money into that community foundation who then acting on their behalf distributes it to the community. Where I see a lot of our, and so now our members are individual philanthropists, um, and they're making their own decisions about where they give their money. Uh, some of them, in fact, give to community foundations as well as directly to charities. So they're not exclusive in that regard. So then, then if, if I can paraphrase, that means that sure. your, your members um, are less restricted in terms of uh, the types of organizations they support or the way in which they do so, they, they're, it sounds like they're much more free agents and, and, less, uh, and less personnel. Is that 
a fair statement from a, a very basic point of view? I believe it is. I mean, our members, we don't, we don't tell our members where to give. We don't do the giving for them. We help them be better at giving. We're a very non-denominational organization in terms of where people give what they support. So I have members across the political spectrum, across the interest spectrum, um, just as diverse as you can imagine. Um, So I don't tell them that you're a good person or a bad person for supporting the arts or you're a good person or bad person for supporting the environment. That is entirely their choice. It's a term uh, often used as donor intent. What does the donor intend to do with the money? What I am passionate about with them is that they do it thoughtfully. They do it in a way to maximize their impact, that they are uh, looking at what kind of difference they're making in their community. What is the difference they want to make? How are they advancing that? And not simply giving because a neighbor says, oh, this is a good, a good charity to support. So there are a lot of uh, complicated vehicles for charitable giving, some of which uh, are beyond the scope of a basic conversation. Some of them involve, you know, split interest gifts or lead gifts or remainder gifts yep. or, or uh, all kinds of different gifts of types of property or, or what have you. Do you get involved with helping donors with that legal piece or do you merely help them figure out um, which charities they're going to support and then they're on their own to find legal counsel? Uh, we have an option within our membership where, where members can get some legal counsel. Not, uh, not, uh, nothing will ever replace their own legal counsel that's drafting documents or whatnot very specific to them. But I think you, know, you, you made an important point, Eric, which is that there's many different vehicles, but I dare say that every single one of us has a checkbook or a wallet so that giving doesn't have to be complex. It doesn't have to require a lot of legalese. When somebody puts a few dollars in the plate at church on Sunday or they support the local Boys and Girls Club or they write a check to the Little League, they're being philanthropists. They're helping people, and that didn't take a lot other than their own desire to do that and the motivation to reach into their pocket. So I don't want to scare anybody off thinking that they need uh, all kinds of legal advice and they need all kinds of tax advice. Uh, Certainly, if you have lots of money, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not, not saying it's a bad thing, but it shouldn't be a barrier to people. But at what level of annual giving for lack of a for lack of another way to phrase yep. that at what level of annual giving does it make sense to join an organization like yours i mean we're, we're not talking about you know, $50 here and $50 there i would think i would think there's some some type of metrics that you would use where membership makes sense or or maybe i'm thinking about that the wrong way I'm going to split the difference. I mean, if somebody's just giving $50 here, $50 there, I would applaud them for supporting whatever the causes they are, but I'm not sure we would be terribly useful to them or, or helpful. Um, I think that people who are spending, uh, you know, perhaps giving uh, 
maybe $10,000 or more a year and are, more importantly, are very thoughtful about what they want to do. They're not just simply writing checks because they have always written checks. And that's something I see a lot that people, well, you know, my dad always supported this or mom always gave money here and it's, you know, they've been gone for 30 years and I'm still writing checks and, and they don't even know why they're doing it. Uh, I think some of our material, uh, some of which is free, you don't even have to be a member, can help people think about those kinds of issues. Well, that, that's great. And our listeners and everyone likes free. So I'm, I'm going to let you, <laughs> a, a little bit later in our interview, I'll let you tell folks where to get that information because I know that'll be meaningful. Um, I love this idea that, that um, giving is um, thoughtful. I also think it's highly personal. Um, and and t- I would think that more than anecdotally, people tend to, to give where they where they're f- have some connection, some feeling, whether it's because uh, it's a medical thing and a, and a family member died of something or, or is struggling and living with some um, disease or whether it's a school where they have a, a fondness as an alumnus or, uh, or where their kids went or any number of different connections. I, I would think there needs to be some form of, uh, of connection at least to begin that conversation. That's exactly it. When people talk to me, ask me about, well, where do I begin? What do I do? It comes down to what's your passion? What are your values? What's important to you? And, you know, these are not decisions that people just make, uh, you know, over a cup of coffee um, thinking about. These are, these are deep conversations, oftentimes held with family members or friends or, or whatever. But, but what's really important to you? And it could be lifelong. Um, yeah, in my own case, I grew up and I uh, uh, attended and then worked in a summer program that in many ways changed my life. It was run by a nonprofit and I'm still passionate about it today. Um, I won't tell you how many years, but it was many years ago. Uh, <laughs> yes, don't date yourself. Also- it's all right. Yeah, thank you. Um, There's also, as you touched on, uh, there are events that can happen, life-changing events. There can be the hospital that cared for you or took care of your parents in their last, the last, uh, you know, days of their lives, or or perhaps there's a disease that um, you know has has hit you or a family member, and you want to support that. Um, I, I sadly can't tell you, you know, how many friends have approached me and said, you know, I'm walking for the Alzheimer's Association or for the Cancer Society, will you support me? That's a form of giving um, because these people have been touched by a disease. Maybe it's your school. Maybe it's your child's school. Um, in some cases, it might even be business-related. You've worked in an industry, and that has a particular, a particular passion or whatnot that, that you want to support. Or, you know, frankly, Eric, you can just be just plain love or interest in something. You could just love the symphony and the arts or going to the theater, and, and that's, that's your passion. So I, I tell people to think about their passion and their values. What's important to them? What really matters? What makes them tick? Those, those are the roadmaps to the kinds of things that ultimately I would argue you should be supporting. Well, we've we've had a chance to chat a lot about the qualitative. Let's let's talk a little bit about the quantitative because um, our, our listener base is also into personal finance, and so there's certainly going to be some financial and tax uh, discussion here. And as you well know, we had a very major change in our tax laws uh, about a year and a half ago now 
that uh, impacted nonprofits and charitable giving and the rules around it and the rules around deductibility in a, in a pretty profound way. Um, have you found that those um, tax law changes have impacted behavior at all or, um, or no? Has, has there been any kind of evidence on your end to support that there's been some kind of change to behavior as a result of that legislation? What, what I, I have and what I've been seeing and what some of my, uh, you know, <laughs> my network has been, been sharing with me is that um, because of the, um, the upping of the standard deduction, that uh, so making, it's making people sort of go on an every other year sort of um, uh, path for donations so that in if, let's assume they were going to give a hundred dollars a year um, every year uh, what they're doing now is they're giving 200 in year one and then skipping year two and then coming back in year three because that hundred gets them above the threshold to be able to deduct it and maximize the tax benefits a little bit of a crest and a trough well and and that is certainly affecting certain other vehicles uh, donor advised funds or uh, again, community foundations are talking about this, how you make the gift to the foundation, then you distribute it to charity over uh, X number of years, but you've already taken the deduction for it. Um, I get the sense that uh, the folks who are at the very high end of the giving spectrum um, are maybe spending a lot more time thinking about this than folks who are, who are just being kind. And I don't know that this has changed behavior of anyone who's just being kind and cares about something and is making... Um, what some might consider a modest gift and others might consider a significant gift for them, for sure. Um, it, it strikes me that there's been very little change in the sort of the donations in the plate at, at church or in the donations at, um, you know, for the local uh, animal shelter. But there have been Correct. some big changes in the way that wealthier people are, are, are grouping their, their deductions. Have you seen that also? Have you seen basically almost no change at the low end? Like people aren't not giving because they're not getting a deduction anymore, are they? Um, a, a, correct. I think I think at that local, highly personal, highly hands-on. You know, I'm I'm supporting the local animal shelter, the local little league, because you know what, my neighbor's kid is playing on the team. The hardware store is supporting. That's that's pretty personal, and that hasn't changed. I'll add parenthetically, Eric, that I've sort of always had this belief that there are many, many people who um, gave to organizations that were tax deductible who actually never um, itemized their tax returns, but they, they felt good because it's, this is a tax deductible contribution because they never really hit the threshold or whatnot. Um, but you're correct. At the higher end, people are being smarter about their tax strategies, and that's perhaps where a lawyer and a tax advisor does come in. Now, you touched on donor advised funds, which is, I think, a really important piece in this. And um, I like to think of them as really sort of a charitable investment account. You give when you can, and then you grant or you donate over time. So uh, if, if you were to set up a donor advised fund, Eric, uh, you would put some money in it today. You would get a tax deduction today. Um, that money technically now belongs to that donor advised fund, which is a public charity. And over time, you, and I'm putting up the air quotes here, you advise them where to make gifts. They are legally not under any obligation to do that, um, but in reality, they do. So um, 
that's a case where people will put money into the donor advised fund at a rate that will get them a deduction this year, and then they can distribute it next year. They may not contribute to that DAF next year. Got it. And and a donor advised fund in some ways is kind of, and I use, I'm using the same quote you did, sort of like a mini endowment or a mini foundation, if you will, where yeah. you don't yeah. necessarily have the resources to create a personal or family foundation, which very few families do. Um, but yep. you can, but you can do some meaningful giving. Um, I, I like to to think that one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children and grandchildren and our family lineage is the gift of influence and the understanding of how money can be uh, can do a whole lot of good for a whole lot of people. And so, one of the things that we talk about with our clients, and maybe you see some of this too, is the idea that. If you, if you wind up giving as a family, it will perpetuate that type of behavior for the next few generations. And if you're able to pool some resources, whether it's done during your lifetime or whether it's done with uh, life insurance or with something you know, be, beyond your lifetime, that you can name your children as, the, as those folks who are going to decide how to disseminate the, the gifts. And that creates an enormous amount of influence and opportunity and perspective for them. Are you seeing some of that as well? Certainly. And I will, I will share on a very personal level, um, my parents, who are both deceased at this point, but they had set up a donor advised fund many, many years ago. And when my, my brothers and I uh, reached, you know, an age that quote unquote, they could trust us. Yeah. So somewhere in our, you know, probably around high school, they added us as signatories to that donor advised fund as a way to help teach us about giving. Now, None of us went and started making gifts or grants without, you know, sort of talking it over with our parents, which was a wonderful opportunity to get a sense of what's important to each of us. And not surprising in any generational shift, um, sometimes the children or the grandchildren have different interests than the, than the parents or the grandparents. So when I talked earlier about thinking about your passions, thinking about what's important to you, those discussions are incredibly necessary to have with your children, with your grandchildren, so you can pass on your values. Uh, I, uh, I got into this whole field by virtue of a family friend who left money for a foundation and left me as one of the trustees. Um, she, this happened probably 16 or 17 years ago. Um, what I think more than anything is she instilled in me what was important to her, and I have tried to carry that legacy forward. Uh, she was not specifying 15 years from now you should be giving money here or there, but she was setting direction. And that's why it's so important to talk to your kids um, and to acknowledge that different generations will have different interests. I think that's fantastic. I mean, that is a form of immortality in its own way, um, and it's a, a certainly a healthy dialogue for families. I, I have a nine-year-old, uh, Henry, who is not a signer yep. on any of our charitable giving. However, however, um, we do instruct her and help her put 20% of her allowance every week in a jar that's marked charity. Yep. And at the end of this year, that'll be, a, a, to her, a very meaningful amount of money, and then we're going to help her identify... A recipient, whether it's children or animals or whatever's important to her or even her school. And I, I, I want to try and instill this, um, this behavior, but also this, this drive and this passion for giving back. 
And, you know, she's, she's not a teenager or a college graduate or any of those things yet, and I'm certainly not wishing it away or rushing her. I just know that <laughs> I think it's a behavior that starts as soon as you have a concept of, of what money is and what it can do for people. I would, even, I would even take one step back, Eric, and I have very distinct memories as a six, seven, eight-year-old um, after Halloween when my brothers and I had more candy than probably anybody should have, my mother taking us to a children's hospital and having us share that candy with kids who couldn't go out trick-or-treating. So it wasn't about money. It was about the concept of sharing your wealth. Our wealth in that day was measured in candy bars, but it was wealth nonetheless. And so it's never too early to start to instill philanthropic, charitable, um, giving concepts in young children. That's fantastic. I, I, have, I have enjoyed this. And I, and I think you have, you have so many great ideas and your website is full of uh, of tools and of information. And so uh, how can folks get in touch with you or, or, or read more about this if they'd like to? Uh, that would be great. We would welcome them. And our website is www.exponentphilanthropy.org. Exponentphilanthropy, all one word, dot org. We will put that in our show notes so folks can find it because this is really an important, uh, an important thing. So, Henry, as you know, one of the things that we do on this show is we talk about how retirement in its traditional sense isn't, isn't all that good for you and that being idle is not a good thing and that we should graduate into the next stage of our lives. Is there anything that you and your family are doing or that you're specifically doing uh, to prepare for your own retirement, in quotes, um, that you can share with our audience? One of the things that my wife and I are doing as I do look at retirement coming up, it's on the horizon, getting closer every day, is that we are, while I'm still working, putting money away into a donor-advised fund right now, each year. So what that's letting me do is take advantage of the tax deduction while I'm working and I have income to put it against. And then when I retire, we're going to have this money so that we can continue to be philanthropic without it coming out of our daily expenses, if you will. Um, And that's where we get the real fun because we get to go out, we get to meet people, we get to evaluate different organizations and decide where we want to give. That sounds like an excellent plan for after you graduate, and uh, I know you'll be, uh, I know you'll be delighted to reach that stage of your of your professional life as well. Uh, and Henry, you're not off the hot seat yet because all of our guests, all of our guests um, need to come up with uh, an extra credit assignment. I mean, this is after all an academic program. Um, it's not for credit, I don't think. This is not accredited, but um, the extra credit, everybody loves that, and the idea that there's one takeaway. Um, what would that be? What would, you, what would you tell our listeners to do if they did one thing as a result of spending 25 or so minutes with us this morning? I would say when you sit down at dinner tonight, um, whether it's just across the table from a spouse or it's with a family or Thanksgiving is not too far away, maybe that's the time, but engage your family in a conversation about what's important to everybody, what are their passions, and just play a game. Imagine they each had you know, half a million dollars to give away. What would they give it to? Where would they give it? And why? Start the conversation. 
That is a great homework assignment. And uh, no, it's not. It's a great extra credit assignment. We don't do homework here. Um, but it, it's a great idea. Henry, you've been a, a fantastic, fantastic guest. We will make sure to, to share the work you're doing with our audience uh, online, on the show notes, on social media. And, and of course, um, we invite you back at some point if you'd like to talk further. This was great. And I thank you for being our guest today on Don't Retire, Graduate. My pleasure. Thank you, Eric. And to all our listeners out there, we'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. And we look forward to it. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Go to our website at don'tretiregraduate.com uh, or, or send me an email directly at ebrotman at bfgfa.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, Henry. And we'll talk to all of you soon. From this day forward, let us make each decision with our best interests in mind. Let us begin visualizing our dreams and reaching our goals. It's time to take the next steps in our life journey and build our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website, don'tretiregraduate.com to download episodes and connect with us on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.